Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Paul Salomon, a math teacher, hobbyist, and family man from St. Louis. He is also the designer of several published board games, including Honey Buzz, Periodic, and Genotype. Paul, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Thanks so much. Great to be here. It is awesome to uh, to have you here. Uh, this is one of those, those cases where um, y- you don't realize you kind of have the six degrees of separation from someone until you actually get connected. And as we're saying, just before we, uh, we came in live here, uh, I actually own Periodic, <laughs> I own yeah. one of, the, one of yeah. the games you made, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into your story, I just want to go through some numbers really quick here. Sure. All right. So uh, Honey Buzz on Kickstarter did 132,000, 2,666 backers. Periodic did $236,000. I'm doing Canadian numbers, by the way, because they always sure. say <laughs> uh, 4,539 backers. Genotype, $360,000. 6,554 backers. So across those three games alone, $728,000 on Kickstarter, 13,759 backers. Fantastic. (laughs) Wow. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Awesome. My God. So, but you're a math teacher. So explain, yes. how did you get into game well, design? You, how long you tell you the sequence this? of those numbers, first of all, which yeah. is that you, you work with amazing publishers. And I, at the start of this kind of design journey, I was thinking about, uh, you know, self-publishing and kickstarting and just sort of thinking about that and doing my own card layouts and things. And um, very quickly, once I started working with professionals, put that stuff away because they do it such a, you know, so much better than I would. And uh, especially the team working on the last couple of games, Genotype and Honey Buzz, that stuff's incredible. So yeah, uh, that's the secret to those numbers. I'll tell you kind of my, my background. As I said, I'm a math teacher. Um, I run a maker space at the school and I've always been kind of a maker. Like in, you said in my intro, I'm like a hobbyist. So played music for a long time, wrote songs and music and, uh, always been creative that way. So when I started to get into games, it just sort of came naturally to try to have my own ideas. Um, And Honey Buzz was almost one of my very first ideas. First one was a bad game called Jump Drive, which is not the Jump Drive that was published. Um, But it was was sort of like a a deck building version of FTL, if you know that video game, Um, where you sort of jump through the galaxy and you you build up your ship and you have some combat and it's a little bit like a roguelike video game, but this game was terrible and uh, (laughs) never, never got anywhere. But the second idea um, was Honey Bus. And so long road, it was about five years ago that I had the idea for the tile system. And uh, as you know, how these things go, it's a long, long road. Yeah, the road is uh, is quite long, uh, from ideation to uh, you know publishing a game. How did you come up with that idea? So was it always like a like a B based game, or did, was it some other kind of game that then got kind of reskinned once you connected with your publisher? Yeah, that's that's like a classic conundrum or dilemma, right? For designers, is does the mechanism come first or the, yeah. the theme? And I like games that I, I as a mathematician, as a thinker, as a gamer. I like to 
have the mech, I focus more on the mechanisms and the theme, but I want the theme to make sense. You know, I want it to be connected. So the story for this game was that the mechanism came first. Um, I did a lot of mathematical art for a number of years. And um, a lot of that was about tiling patterns and symmetry. And I love tiling games. So the the core idea was just, let's have a new tile idea. And um, what I came up with is if if you have rhombuses or, you know, uh, diamonds, whatever people call them, and if the, if the small angles are 60 degrees, then you can actually connect them like different ways. So you could kind of put them all the same direction and sort of just make this, basically four at every corner kind of going up the wall. Um, or you can kind of have them point towards each other and get six at a corner and then other places where there's three at a corner. And you can just kind of connect these things together in like four or five different ways. So that was kind of the idea that the way you connected them together would determine something, the type of resource or the type of building or something. Um, and what I wanted to do was actually stick something in on those, on top of those corners. So I cut little pieces out of the tiles, which is called truncation in math, and it made okay. these empty hexagons. So yep. as soon as it was like, let's make empty hexagons and put stuff in it, it was like, well, it's probably going to be bees. And then I just did a ton of bee research or bee search, as you might call it. And <laughs> okay. Basically, you know, and this is something that we do with period uh, with uh, genius games too, is you do all this research and you make it as like authentic and accurate as you can. And, and so early on in the game, there was like all this, all this bee science with like two types of workers. You, or you had worker bees, which are females and drones, which are males. And you, the queen could lay, you know, an unfertilized egg for one or a fertilized egg for the other. And it was all this much more complicated than it, it eventually became. And then you kind of hone that down, but all the, all the mechanisms in the game are pretty accurate to what bees actually do. So the way that you produce honey is you put this fan token down and kind of put some wind on the nectar and it turns into honey, which is exactly what bees do. They just flap their wings and that, that vapor, that uh, air current lowers the moisture content, turns it to honey. That is crazy. Uh, this is the first I've ever heard of somebody starting with a scientific explanation of a mechanic and having that evolve into a game. But that just goes to show you that game uh, inspiration can literally come from anywhere, even science and math, which I think is pretty cool. So when was the, when did you create your first game? How long ago was that? Well, you know, these, these answers are always like, well, you know, I was doing that kind of when I was seven or whatever. And in, in elementary school, I was doing like computer coding games but it was, it was existing games. You know, I was trying to make a bowling game or something. But um, the first time I really started thinking about um, modern board games was um, like maybe, maybe seven or eight years ago, playing things like Ticket to Ride and Dominion. Mm-hmm. And it was around six, seven years ago when I started working on that, uh, that jump drive game, the FTL-based game. Yeah. And really, it was, the, it was the deck building of Dominion kind of blew my mind open. Um, I'd never played anything like that. I'd played magic as a kid, um, but nothing like that. And so taking a a video game that I loved, trying to put that into tabletop form uh, was a really big challenge. And I think other games have done that better since, you know, since my ideas. Uh, But it's funny because you can, you can make a game that's not very good, but you'll still have a core playtesting group that loves it and you'll just play it a lot and it's fine, you know? And that's part of the success of, of, designing games is just what is it going to do 
Are you going to try to actually publish it or it's just fine to make a game and enjoy it? You know, Uh, you can still be successful as a designer that way. That's an interesting Uh, uh, perspective because, you you know, you often hear people sometimes think like when when they're talking about their game and they're like, oh, I got to get on Kickstarter and I got to figure out how I can get, you know, you know, a thousand backers. But if the ultimate goal is just to publish a game. I mean, you can do much, much smaller quantities than that if you just want to have something that you've created, right? That other yeah. people play and, and get enjoyment out of. Yeah. You don't have to go the whole Kickstarter route. You don't have to go the business route. You can do the design exactly. side, right? So yeah. that's pretty astute. Um, how did you kind of get connected with these publishers? Like how did that come, the, the two of you kind of come together? So you got these game ideas. Right. Uh, there's two publishers, you know, uh, you know, the Elf Creek as well as the um, Genius, uh, Game. Genius Games. Mm-hmm. So is there other publishers you've been working with or how did you connect with those two? Um, so St. Louis, which is where I'm from, is an yeah. awesome hub for board games, at least in America. We have Miniature Market here. We have a really lively um, board game designer meetup that, you know, play tests and stuff like that. And just tons of game nights every night and uh, board game cafe. And uh, I started going to the meetup to get my games play tested and my, you know, my heart's pounding the first time I showed my game off. And uh, those people had really, you know, sharp things to say. And I was, I was asking around, you know, has anybody done a Kickstarter? And this guy, Royce Benuelos, who's a um, artist for games. He did, well, he did spec art for Honey Buzz, but he also did uh, the art for End of the Trail. And he kind of helped connect me with John Covey, from Genius Games. So we kind of met up and I was pitching him the game. He didn't necessarily know I was pitching him the game, um, but it wasn't really right for, for Genius because it's not it's not truly scientific in the way that they do it. Educational, um, it's not really educational, right? Yeah, yeah it's not, It's they, they go a little bit harder with the science. Yeah. Um, but he connected me to Jamie Stegmeyer who um, lives in St. Louis. And I, I didn't know him at that time um, but I knew of him and I had sort of followed his blog and, you know, heard his ideas about kickstarting and design. And um, then we did a couple of rounds of pitches to Jamie and he gave me some good feedback and tweaks. And then it was at the Stonemeyer Design Day hmm. in St. Louis where, um, you know, which I don't know if you know about it, but designers from around the country come to St. Louis. They play games all day long. They review them and give feedback. Like you can see the ratings at the end. And so Honey Buzz was like the second best rated game of the day. And that helped me get a little bit of, um, of uh, visibility. And, and Gray Fox had the game for a while. They uh, were sharing office space with Genius. Hmm. And, you know, ultimately Stonemeyer passed and the guys from Elf Creek uh, gave me their pitch. And I was, to be honest, nervous about these guys at, at the beginning because they, the only thing they had published was End of the Trail. And Atlantis Rising Second Edition had not been out yet. It was it was soon to be an incredible land, you know, a ten out of ten from Z Garcia, and the yeah. production quality is insane. But uh, you know, they, they didn't have that track record that they have now. Um, but hundred percent, the right choice to to sign with those guys. They've been incredible. So, in a case like this, you're you're faced with a publisher um, who you are nervous about. What made you then take that leap? was it a case of it's your first game and it's kind of, this is, this is the only kind of offer that you have on the table at the time, or is it more of you had a good feeling with their team and you thought you'd take a risk or kind of what kind of brought those, that decision kind of forward? 
Yeah. And th- those guys were not my close friends yet. I mean, I'd met them a couple times at Geekway to the West and at the design day. Um, and for a while, I was really hoping that Gray Fox would take it because, you know, Champions of Midgard and Deception are like, they were huge, especially at that time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just, that was kind of my hope was that a big publisher would take it and do something big. But um, I talked to, I think, Ben Rossett, who designed Search for Planet X and Home Brewers and Brew Crafters. And he was saying, you know, there, there's, there's something to be said for having, you know, a small team do one of their first games with you because it's, it's going to be their baby too. And they can't, yeah. it can't flop, you know, and places yeah. like places like Gray Fox, they sometimes publish 15 games in a year. And uh, you know, it's easy to see on this side, but it was harder to see on that side. The, the, but the, the easiest thing is just that um, I was really upfront with them in the negotiations about here's what I'm worried about. Um, we worked numbers back and forth a little bit and they were receptive and they, you know, they gave me the idea that that they had the same sense about how the game should work, what the, you know, what the overall ideas of the design should be like. And they had their eyes kind of on the right ideals. When you're dealing with a publisher that they've only really done one, one title prior to you and they've got everything to lose, right? They have to be successful. Oh yeah. And there's a benefit to that, right? If you know that someone's going to go above and beyond, they have something to, for lack of a better word, to prove, Mm-hmm. Almost like you got even more win in your sales than you would have had, uh, you know, had they not. And the parallel I would draw to that would be GameFound, right? So GameFound has recently announced that they're doing a uh, uh, their own version of Kickstarter, but specifically just for games. Everybody's kind of watching to see how this goes. Their first, um, you know, crowdfunding campaign that they do, which I think yep. is January, they have to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. They have to prove the, the, the platform. They have to prove that it works. And you know what? I would love to be that first uh, game that gets to be on that platform because they are going to oh, put yeah. everything. You know, It's going to be all guns ablaze and make sure that's as successful as possible. So that's an interesting benefit. You know, I kind of reflect back on that, that, yeah, you know what? Some of the benefits of going maybe with a new publisher or somebody that's unproven is they have everything to prove and uh, yeah. that could work in your favor. What is some of the things that you would say to uh, a developer who is looking at uh, doing that same kind of contract negotiation that you're talking about with a new publisher? What are some of the things they should ask for when they're negotiating with the publisher? Yeah, so the my, and I, I hadn't really done this a bunch because I, I have kind of three titles that are going to be published you know, soon, but this was, I think, the first one really that I had negotiated. So mm-hmm. I was going kind of going off that Robert... Um, <clears throat> Matthew um, article on his website mm-hmm. um, that says uh, it had some numbers in it, you know, with percentages and stuff. And I think he was talking about seven um, percent of net sales as kind of a benchmark. But I think that that truly is about as high as you can kind of get. Mm-hmm. Um, but that if there's a shared, if there's a couple of designers working together, they'll get a little bit of a higher percentage. So I was kind of um, that was kind of where I was aiming was 7% of net sales to see if I could get that. And, um, it's been a little bit different. Each of my contracts has a little bit different, you know, stuff on it, but there's other things you can look at, like, um, how many copies of the game are you going to get? Or or how many copies of the game are you going to be able to buy at cost from the, from the, from the manufacturer? And, Mm -hmm. you know, 
at first um, there was some language I didn't like in there about that. And, and it wasn't even necessarily the Elf Creek guys. It was their lawyer who was putting it in terms of net profit rather than net sales. And so yeah. I was worried that they were going to be, you know, kind of deducting all of the upfront costs of the game. And I ran some numbers that seemed like, you know, few pennies on the game, each game sold and just didn't sit right. So we kind of reshaped the language toward, you know, ideally a, a dollar a game is like a rough idea for what you might want to try to shoot at. Um, but there's so many variabilities, right? Because when periodic sells in Germany, I get yeah. a totally different percent of a licensing fee as opposed to when it sells off of the Genius Games website, I get a percent as opposed to sells into distribution at a totally different dollar value. So it's really a lot to, uh, to think about. Um, so it's really interesting. I actually want to dig into that just a little bit if I can, because yeah. I think that's important for people who uh, are maybe not as savvy on the business side or, or maybe new to kind of doing contracts. Yeah. There's a huge difference between net sales and net profit. Oh yeah. So for instance, net profit is what's left over after all expenses are covered, including um, anything in the kitchen exactly. sink, right? They could yeah, put in salaries hard to pin down what that could be. Exactly. Yeah. They could put in salaries. They could put in marketing. They could put in the rent in the building that they're working. They could literally put in anything. And you actually see this in a lot of, I, I mean, I work, uh, my day job is in the supplements industry. And if you're doing a contract, literally in any industry, you want to avoid those kind of yeah. net profit type contracts because it's, it's, it's very tough to land at a, a number that you can really count on because you're relying on the person you're doing a contract with to have good intentions, yeah. right? And if they yeah. don't, uh, that can really go in your favor where you can end up with nothing. So yeah. net sales is usually um, you know, the, the, the price less whatever discounts are given to um, the retailer that's buying it or say, uh, if you're selling direct to a consumer, say through Kickstarter, right? The, Kickstarter uh, fees. Yeah, your Kickstarter fees, your fulfillment fees, and things like that. It'd be it'd yeah. be kind of like net of that. So I think that's important yeah. to kind of point out because that's good. I think uh, advice for maybe some new um, developers out there that are looking to get into contract uh, negotiations. Yeah. And I was really lucky to have John Covey at Genius Games, who yeah. um, we kind of had a, a plan, like a New Year's resolution, to do three games together, and so we were working cool. pretty much all the time. And he knows a ton because he's the, you know, he is Mister Genius Games, and so he gave me mm -hmm. a ton of good advice, and you know, has been really fair with me and helpful. So having having people that you know that can kind of answer your questions obviously is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then in terms of um, uh, another another piece of advice for people signing contracts with publishers is what kind of language should they build in for um, exit clauses or if things don't work out? So say you're taking yeah. a chance with a new, in this case, right? New publisher. Right. Fingers crossed. They're going to go all guns a blazing. It's going to be amazing. But on the flip side, there's a risk that they could fall flat on their face and nothing could happen. And then the risk is you're locked in with somebody that cannot move your game forward. Yep what kind of things would you recommend somebody build in uh, on that kind of back end to make sure they're protected in that regard? Yeah, there were a couple couple places where this came up. So in all the contracts that I try to sign, I want to know, um, you know, like a, a couple release dates where if it doesn't hit street within two years from the sign date, then uh, the rights revert to me. Um, and then the other one is like an out of print date. So if it's been out of print for, 
a number of years, and I don't know what where we landed on that, then the rights revert to me and I can publish it myself or I can sell it to another publisher. Um, with with uh, Genius Games, this was a little different because up to the point that John and I started working together, he had only he had been the, the sole public the sole designer, excuse me, on all mm-hmm. of his games. So um, when we set out to do genotype together, um, it was it, it wasn't something that the rights could revert to me on. Um, and in the contract, there was language about kind of my re- my responsibilities to continue to develop it and stuff. And I said, well, I, I, we need some kind of a clause in here where if it doesn't hit street, I'm kind of released from it. But also if you ever publish it, I still get royalties, something like that, where it was, it was almost more of like a timed labor contract where yeah. I was expected to work for a period of development and then I could be released from that. Um, and then, but still have a, an expectation of pay out of the work. That's interesting. Yeah. So like a game like Periodic, which is, you know, based on the periodic table, for those who don't know, if uh, yes, you is. have, for anybody out there who has kids that are in high school that are getting into even, uh, you know, late uh, elementary school, looking to get into science yeah. and learning about chemistry in the periodic table, great game. Uh, so check it out. Um, but, you know, a game like that, where it's very, very specific you're a math teacher, not a science teacher, I think, Correct. right? Yep. So yep. how, how would you go about a game like that, like developing it? Because it it's very specific around chemistry, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So John actually, um, at one of the playtesting nights, John said, you know, I've got, got this idea for the periodic table game. It's, I can't believe I haven't thought of this before. And we started playing with it. And the way that we were doing stuff at that time is we would just play a mechanic and then just kind of pitch new ideas and talk it out. And we wouldn't really play whole games. And yeah. The idea was pretty simple at the time. It was like you collect cards in the different groups and then you play them down. It was, it was pretty close to Ticket to Ride and it just didn't work. And so I think initially he had me on as a developer for the game. And we, um, we really struggled to figure out the difference between design and development for our partnership. Um, and so I was developing it with him and we would, we would go on walks and talk about basically, he, you know, we know we want a product, which is, yeah a game that's the periodic table is the board. And for genius games, that means the science is accurate. It means the game mechanisms are engaging and fun. And um, so we sort of started with what is the science we actually want to pull out of it? Uh, The groups, um, the periodic trends like atomic number, um, you know, nuclear mass, something like that. I can't remember. Um, Electronegativity, et cetera, in these different directions. And then, possibly charges, ions, cations, et cetera. There's a bunch of stuff. And tried to fit that into a game. And eventually as we play with mechanisms, things start to work. Um, Towards the end of that process, and this was a really fast game. This was like, we did it every week for a summer and it was done um, as opposed to Honey Buzz was like five years. Um, By the end of that, I said, you know, I, I know you had me on as a developer, but as I look at the finished game, I know how many of these ideas are mine and how much I worked mm. on it. And would you consider giving me, um, you know, like a percentage, just like 1%. And obviously we had a contract. So, yeah. you know, John, it's my friend, he's my neighbor. He could have said, uh, you know, no, but he said, <laughs> sure, I'll give you 2%. Because oh, nice. that's the kind of guy that John Covey is. Yeah. Um, you know, and th- it's, it's those kind of relationships too that keep us working on all these other, other projects. That's cool. How many games 
have you so of your put you've got three published games is that correct or is there more published that i don't know about? so genotype is not in stores yet but it's it was kickstarted as you said yeah, so and i believe correct. it's uh i think it's it's in production right now because i've seen the uh the ppc so it's 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 getting there right yeah so let, let's count kickstarter as being published so sure. that's yeah. so so three, three games games three yep. finished games how many do you have that are underway so that are pretty much done they're just waiting to now they're in the queue to be published sure and then how many games do you kind of have that are in development so i have no other games that are finished i would say um nothing that i'm pitching right now to um publishers uh because nothing's that good really and and frankly you know at least with the way these other games work um i started with those two games with genius just it was like we're going to do this game and so I didn't really have to pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I have that that jump drive game, which is done and never to be pitched, or maybe it'll be rehashed someday. I don't know. Uh, I have a, a donut game called Strange Donuts, which was initially it was going to be pitched to a donut company in St. Louis called Strange Donuts. It's kind of <laughs> like a mix between Coloretto and Sushi Go. Okay. Kinda like adding toppings to donuts until you take them, building a <laughs> dozen. Uh, and that game's you know, it, 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 it could be pitched. It's just not, it's nothing I love yet. And yeah. then um, I was working on a stamp collecting game. This was got, I got so into stamps for the stamp collecting game. Like I just got more interested in the stamps than the game ultimately. Um, so that's actually ha- barely has mechanisms in it. And then uh, just probably two or three other ideas that might, might come up down the road. But um, right now I'm just kind of spinning my wheels for, Honeybuzz expansions, periodic expansions, etc. Has COVID impacted you at all? Because if you were using meetups, uh, yeah. which is what I used when I did my games, yeah. uh, to get people to play test and go to developer nights and so forth, a lot of that I know in Canada has ended. I'm oh, yeah. thinking some of that probably ended in the States as well. What are you doing in kind of as a stopgap? Are you using Tabletop Simulator or what's your... Yeah, so the... The answer is a lot of that has stopped. I was going to a weekly game night at Gray Fox Genius Games, mm. and that that stopped immediately in March. Um, the designer meetup hasn't been happening. There's been some online stuff, but I haven't really been in, super involved in it. Um, I have Tabletop Simulator. I've played a couple games on there, but I find it a little too hard to play with. And I've just had times, you know, basically I didn't I didn't really play a game from on the table from March to about. Um, October maybe and and it just you know playing at school with masks on with kids I'm already exposed to um haven't seen a lot of my friends for game night so I've had thoughts like I'll, I'll start a new game now and I just felt like well what, how am I gonna play test that I I'm not gonna be able to put it in front of people so um you know short answer is I really haven't done any of that it's put a, a huge stop on everything so you've gone through withdrawal a little bit Oh, definitely. I mean, I, <laughs> I picked up disc golf as my kind of supplement hobby okay. yeah. uh, right away. And I've been doing that as hard as I can. Yeah. That's crazy. So what is kind of next then for you? If you know, you've, so you've got your three games out, you've got your expansions coming. Um, is there any aspirations to self-publish at any point or kind of what kind of, where do you see yourself going in this next year? You know, the self-publishing route, I think is, is, too hard for what I want to be doing. And it, mm-hmm. honestly, it would put me in a lot of places where 
uh, that would just not play to my strong suit. Administrative tasks are not my strong suit and creative stuff is. Um, I definitely will be working on Honeybuzz expansions, big box ex expansion for that, that we should hopefully see uh, Kickstarter down the line. Yeah. Um, John and I kind of still have a third game, I think, to publish, uh, to design together. We worked on a, a game about um, stars collapsing and forming new elements, but it didn't, it didn't get anywhere. But I'd like to kind of cool. get back to that too. I, I'd like to just keep these partnerships going because when you have really strong relationships with good publishers, it just feels amazing to keep it going. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I think it's important to note uh, for those who didn't see the announcement on the Board Game Binge Facebook group today, um, that Elf Creek is actually giving away a copy of Honeybuzz, right? Including, so you get a standard copy and then um, the uh, the stretch goals that went along with that standard copy is also included in this uh, in this giveaway we're doing. So any of the members of this group, there's nothing you have to do. Uh, we, uh, if you've been part of this group for a little while, you know that periodically we give away games or give away cool stuff. And all you have to do is be a member of the group in order to win. Your name goes into a draw, you get one ballot, and then we randomly draw someone. Uh, if you are listening on our audio podcast and you are not yet a member of the Board Game Binge Facebook group, please stop what you're doing and go and join the group because you want to make sure that your name is in that draw to potentially win this game because it looks awesome. And uh, it's just got tons of components and uh, it looks like a lot of fun. So I'm sure there's going to be someone that's going to be pretty excited to get that. We're going to do that draw next Friday. And, uh, and, uh, I just want to, once again, thank, um, Elf Creek for, for donating the game and, uh, th those are listening. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, of course, to our American friends. Uh, this is a long weekend where a lot of people are actually playing, uh, games around uh, their kitchen tables and spending time with loved ones. So, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and all the best to you and your family. Thanks so much. Take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.